0: President and CEO of the Federal Reserve of the Bank of St. Louis, James Bullard. President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, Pat Harker. And yet we're hundreds of basis points away from our target. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, alongside my co-host, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. We tackle market trends each and every week on SiriusXM's Wharton Business Radio Channel 111. Enjoy this week's show host Jeremy Schwartz and we're going to focus on the developments in India. Joining me in the discussion, Gaurav Sana. He's an asset allocation strategist at Wisdom Tree focusing on India and our guest for this half hour is going to be Arvind Gupta. He currently heads the Digital India Foundation which works on digital inclusion, internet and government cities. Uh, he also leads the BJP's information technology team. Uh, BJP is India's ruling party as well as the world's biggest party. Arvind, thank you for joining us on the program today. Thank you for having me. Please note, I'm a registered representative of Side Fund Services, and our discussion today is not tied to the offers of investment products. The views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree or its affiliates.
1: I'm very excited in talking to your uh, channel and your radio station to, to all of America, I hope, and uh, to the new uh, student community all across America.
0: So, Arvind, maybe you could talk to us a little bit. I mean, you are the digital foundation in India here. It is, you know, we, Gaurav and I think it's one of the most exciting stories, uh, how India is really leapfrogging technology around the world. And you're, you're doing some of the really leading edge stuff. So we're, we're definitely excited to have you join us. Um, can you share a little bit about how you got into technology, just some of your own personal background so people can see, you know, what, how, what you're bringing to the table and trying to lead digital for India?
1: Um. I, uh, you know, I'm like one of those uh, people, uh, millions of those people in India who studied engineering. I went to uh, one of the oldest engineering colleges in India uh, called IIT BHU, and it's in it's in the city called Varanasi. It's so one of the oldest living cities in the world, and houses one of the biggest universities' residential campuses in Asia. And then, of course, like. As I said, uh, I studied my, uh, uh, you know, computer science at uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I also have a business degree from there, Mm -hmm. and then worked, you know, in the Silicon Valley area. Uh, The reason, and I've been a startup person for the last 20 years of my life. Uh, The reason that I think um, people are talking about India is 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 now a confluence of all of this, Mm -hmm. right? I mean. We have a very vibrant startup movement uh, centered around innovation for the next $6 billion. Uh, We have uh, one of the biggest consumers of technology in the government of India. And we have uh, a, a, the third pivot in this is the, the ma- massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years um, that has really leapfrogged, as you use the word, India into a one of the most... Uh, dominant technology and internet um, and, and digital societies in the world today. So I, I come with a little experience, but uh, the, the, the digital story of India is about uh, millions and millions of volunteers and people who have made sure that everybody in India gets access to digital technology um, and gets access to innovation to create new technology. That Those are the startups. At last count, we have more than 10,000 startups in India and, um, also, to the leaders and, and the regulators in India who have enabled the right ecosystem and environment for technology and innovation to prosper. Very good. Absolutely,
2: Arvind. This is Gaurav, and it's such a pleasure talking to a fellow IIT BHUite. I myself graduated from the same college. And it's interesting that we're talking about India at a point when last week I was in a conference with Morgan Stanley, and Morgan Stanley seems to be super excited about India's growth story. They're saying that India's GDP would triple to $6 trillion over next 10 years. Market cap would also triple to nearly $6 trillion in next 10 years. And digitization is going to be the key founding pillar behind that growth. So, um, Arvind, it's quite a feat that India has achieved by having a biometric uh, database for nearly ninety-nine percent of the population. If I if I understand it correctly, could you walk us through what were the challenges and how is it going to help uh, uh, boost India's GDP?
1: So, Gaurav, uh, thanks for having me again and um, good talking to you. Um, I I you know let's go back. When did India's uh, this whole Uh, digitization process start and uh, about 2009 and 10 2010 is when we set up what is called the unique identity authority of India that point in time India was about 1.2 billion people in population 400 million people in India at that point in time had no form of identity zero and two the other 800 million people had multiple identities. So it was a very interesting dichotomy where you had absolutely two Indias existing. One which did not have an identity and one which had identity. Some because of their own doings and some because of the way the systems work that if their names were spelled incorrectly or if they, if they migrated from state A to state B, they, you know, you generated multiple IDs. Uh, the unique identity project was, is unique because, number one, it creates a unique identity based on your biometrics, and it makes sure that there are no fakes and duplicates in the system. And, of course, as you rightly said, today 1.18 billion people out of the total population of 1.3 billion people are on the UID system, the Aadhaar system as it's called. It's the world's biggest biometric identity program. Uh, but the need for that was to give an identity, which is very essential, is a base to every resident of India, it was not meant for citizenship proofs. It was not meant to, to, to do, to uh, you know, to, to surveil on people or do anything else, but to do one sole purpose of to give an, a unique identity to any citizen. It's a 12-digit number, which, uh, which is verified and authenticated with the third highest form of of authentic authentication, which is who you are. So you know, authentication has three levels of authentication: is what you know which is like a username password, what you have is like a mobile phone or a card, but who you are is only very unique. And the, the basic premise of the Aadhaar system was who you
0: are. Okay, Arvind, we were just talking about how uh, using this biometric authentication, you're going to be able to really connect people, get their true identities. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about how you're seeing that being used. And we've heard stories um, and and maybe Gaurav's experience of traveling back to India, but you could open your bank account with a fingerprint. You get your medical records with a fingerprint. Talk about how people are using this authentication and what it's really changing for for you and the government.
1: Well, now, the, the first thing of the, uh, the identity project was to plug leakages into the government system. There was a there was a peaking a and a, and a study after study that the government of India did, which said that if hundred dollars leaves the government coffers, maximum of fifteen dollars reach the last person it's intended to reach. So, the and, and and a lot of reasons for that were number one, many tickets those take multiple they would go to one state to claim a benefit and go to another state to claim another benefit or they claim a benefit with two different identities so that was one reason the identity was not a certain Two was the reason that there was there was cash money transactions in getting that money reaching them so there was a lot of intermediaries who would who would give that money. By doing this the authentication through a biometric means, you, you you still need the first process conclusion. which was no fakes, no duplicates. So, you know, the moment you... you and eligibility also was a certain that if you are eligible for a particular benefit or social scheme, then only you'll get it, and then you can claim it in multiple jurisdictions. That process itself saved a lot of people. A lot of those were removed from the system. But the government also went ahead and did something which is very remarkable. On the identity system, it built something called a jam trinity, which is a way to give what are called direct benefits transfer. Now, it transfers the benefits directly into your bank accounts. The moment you avail of a benefit, the, the, the financial reward, the financial uh, money that has to go along with that comes directly into your bank accounts. No more intermediaries, no more brokers in between which means if $100 leaves the government coffers, $100 reaches your bank account. And that was done using identity as a base, but linking your identity to your bank accounts and your mobile phones, creating a trinity called the JAM. JAM, the J stands for the bank account, A stands for Aadhaar, which is a identity, and M stands for mobile. This is a very unique innovation built on top of the identity layer, as I call it. And this this enables governments to give out benefits directly. So that was the first aim of the identity layer. By 2014, about 600 million people had got into the system, and by 2017, as we talked, there is 118, 1.18 billion people on the system today. Uh, just to give you some perspective, the whole ID project has costed India roughly $2 billion. But... During during these direct benefit transfers, had saved upwards of nine billion dollars in two years by removing fake duplicates and you know making sure the money reaches the right people. That's great. So uh, that that was the first intent. But the second big thing came was using this identity system. Now remember, I started by saying four hundred billion people didn't have an identity. Prime Minister Modi came out with a scheme called the called the Financial Inclusion for All Jan Dhan Yojana. which which basically said that if you have an Aadhaar number, identity number, you can walk into any bank account and open a zero-balance account. It became kind of your your right to do that. And in a matter of one year, India opened 220 million bank accounts. We went from 50% financial inclusion at the household level to 100% financial inclusion at the household level. Today we have a billion bank accounts in India, five hundred million unique bank account holders, and banking for almost everybody in India. And why this is transformative, this could happen because there was an identity layer that was in operation and anybody could come and use that Aadhaar identity to ascertain who they are, give that identity to do their KYC, know your customer requirements and actually open a bank account. Not only that, because not not only did they have identity, the other thing we did is what India has created as a digital infrastructure is a complete identity is a presence less layer. But we have a paperless layer where all your KYT required documents are stored in a in a in a, in a digi locker. It's like a Dropbox, um, which is authenticated by your radar number. And when you when you want to give your KYC information to a to a bank or a telecom provider, you, you give your content and authentication and those required information gets transferred. All digitally, by the way, to, to somebody else. Prevents identity theft, but also does everything digitally. So the cost of customer acquisition for banks, for telecom companies, has come down from $20 to half a dollar. So That also enables low-cost banking, uh, very, very frugal banking for for. The mass population of India. So, Erwin. Arvind... You know, you also have to keep in context that this, this 400 million population base probably has an average balance of $150. So, to service that account, you need very good technology and low no touch. Then only those accounts can be beneficial to the banks. But with this technology, they could, you know, uh, everybody could participate in the banking system. So, that is the second thing that happened. You know, the direct benefits transfers, the the complete um, financial inclusion, and a very, very big outcome of resources. Also, what is happening as we are speaking is that all the bank accounts, which were previously existing, are getting seeded with our numbers, with their identity numbers. Now, why this is important? Because you want to make sure that there is the, the duplicate identity that people have. Are not being used to do money laundering, to hold bank accounts in somebody else's names. So slowly, India is trying to achieve complete KYC norms on each bank account in India. And in that process, a lot of accounts are getting culled out. A lot of shell companies are getting culled out. Uh, this is the the new economy that India is trying to build: completely formal, um, you know, transparent. Um, and there's,
2: you know, all the citizens pay actually in the right time. So, Arvind, it's quite amazing that India's uh, identity system is biometric in nature, which even is not so common in Western countries. Um, now, getting back to your, uh, you know, financial inclusivity, I think, am I right in saying that the biggest benefit that digitization is providing? Uh, to average person on the street is by reducing cost of delivery and improving ease of accessibility to financial services. Now, India is a country where people may not have a bank account, but they Certainly, well, everybody have a, has a bank account now. <laughs> that's true, uh, and thanks to this government, which has been really pushing hard for you know uh, uh, financial inclusivity for everyone. But my point is that as you know, mobile phone revolution has happened in India. People in small villages, small towns, they do have a mobile phone, which has an access to internet. They might not have a bank account, but by having a mobile phone and by having a biometric system. Through which they can uniquely identify through the phone, they can now open an account. They can now transfer money from one account to another account. So, in a way, it's 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 formalizing economy. You know, eighty-five percent of India's economy is untracked. So, I think the biggest reason what has kept India, uh, you know, uh, behind all of the other developed countries and including some EM countries, has been that it's a largely informal economy. So, with this push for digitization, that.
1: God, what we- what you just said makes a lot of sense, and I thank you for adding that. What we have done is the banking system, uh, along with the identity system, let me talk about uh, you know the whole layering that we have done in India, of all these different technologies we've built in. So we've built in the technology of identity, linked it with the DigiLocker, the Dropbox kind of paper storage, uh, you know, paperless layer, presence less layer, paperless layer. The third layer, which is very important that India has built on top of that, is the cashless layer, which is a unified payment interface. And why I bring that in is because that really helps in financial inclusion. It is also helping, because it's all native technology in India, there is no rent-seeking. It helps in bringing down the cost of transaction. And the other point I want to make is it, it, it very inclusive. So, for example, today with Adhar State, is completely cardless. You can work. You can do a card payment in an assisted mode. You go, you you know, you don't even need a card. You give your 12-digit number, you authenticate yourself, let's say using an iris scan, and you can withdraw money from an ATM or a human ATM or a micro ATM. Two, you can do all these services on non-internet-enabled phones. Uh, we are one of the few interfaces where you know, while you can you know use so assisted mode. Banking mode, smartphone mode, but a non-smartphone mode also. All these services are included on a U.S.S. connection. Again, so it's very, very ubiquitous and very inclusive in nature. That's why, uh, you know, the lowest common denominator, if somebody lives in a village without an internet connection, um, he or she has a mobile phone, can work, can do all banking transactions uh can go to a, one of these uh, you know uh, banking correspondents uh, or human aviants and do a an assistive transaction there receive money there uh can go to actually a bank branch and do whatever else they want to do or if they have access to a smartphone or internet connection um, uh on a laptop they can do all transactions so the same banking services are ubiquitous and is available on all platforms across the cost of doing transactions and and payments in India is perhaps the lowest. And that is a very important point because owning your own payment network helps there. And uh, so India has really built the the three layers uh, of presence less paperless, and cashless, all natively, and they're all integrated with each other, tightly working together. Uh, And I just wanted to bring that in because I think that makes the whole chain very, very digital. Um, So, uh, and if I if I give you some experience post demonetization in India, the value of digital transactions has gone up 1300%. That is the the update today that we have. Um, You know, 13 um, almost about 13 million transactions a day from 100,000 a day. So uh, all all being done on a major digital network in India.
2: Is there a way for me to yes, invest you know, in that kind?
1: One t- example, which is very very interesting, is you know how services are being delivered on using a presence presenceless layer. Old age pensioners, people who used to get pension, state pension, used to certify. With, you know, used to go miles and kilometers every six months to a year to certify that they were alive. That's called you know. And then only they could avail their pension. And they had to repeat this twice in a year and go through the ritual of going to a government office to certify that they are proof that they are alive. Today, more than nine million people in India avail of a facility which they just, in the presence of a panel, just certify using their biometrics that they are alive. And they keep receiving their pension directly into the bank account. The implications are both for welfare, for social, for financial inclusion. This stack, the India stack as we call it, is being reimagined to be used in in industries and cases that at the original stage of the design was probably not imagined. But today we are reimagining so many things uh, that, that we are doing using this digital infrastructure that we've built. Of course, the government is the biggest user. Financial services, second biggest, payments, probably the next. Uh, but I think society in general is, and citizenry in general is really availing of the benefits. And the real uh, social benefit is really coming out
2: now. That's quite impressive, Arvind. And I'm only wondering, is there a way for me to invest in digitization in India? Because from 1,000, I think you said 1,000 transactions per month to 13 million transactions per month. That's absolutely uh, stunning. Now, one of the biggest uh, recent developments in India that has also uh, created a lot of interest in U.S. is the tax overhaul that uh, current government did, uh, GST. Now, can you just at a very high level walk us through how digitization is, you know, interfacing of digitization with GST, helping, uh, you know, governments' tax revenue uh, maybe go up a little bit, uh, you know, uh, decrease some of those leakages, and and any, uh, you know, uh, uh, your high level ideas on that.
1: So thank you for asking that because I was going to lead to that. The first thing we did is created the infrastructure. We made banking system very strengthened both by making sure everybody has financial inclusion. Two, they can access it wherever, and three, the banks who are holding the right accounts. You can, you know, KYC requirements or spent. The next piece of this puzzle, and of course, demonetization happened. The next piece of this puzzle, though, was to make sure that, you know, the, the, the indirect taxes, which is, India had about 17 indirect taxes that we, we would levy on a sale or a, a transfer, um, B2B or a B2C sale. And then imagine about 30 different states in India having their own rules. So on 1st July, India became one of the biggest rollout of GST, and really we have what, what is called the tax unification of India. It's one nation, one tax. So now there is nowhere in Delhi, Mumbai, or in Bangalore, if you go, you for the same product will pay the same taxes. We currently have five different starting from 0% to 5% to 12, 18, and 28 on different product categories, which may even be reduced in the future. But as of right now, from 17 taxes, 30 different states, some states treating a product as, uh, in, in one category of tax and some states treating in some other category of tax, unified into a nation which has one nation, one tax. What this also does is, And this is the biggest, the GST system of India is the biggest cloud implementation of taxation anywhere. Every invoice is loaded into the cloud and settled in the cloud. So your input credits that you do are all settled in the cloud. So you pay net taxes, you collect 100 and your input was 90, you pay net 10 to to, to the government. I'm I'm making it very simple. But the, the biggest thing that it does is it digitizes the supply chain no longer you can have one or two people skipping invoices because everybody will get the tax credit only if all the invoices match. So if a few people are breaking the chain, they will get caught. And this is transformative because not only it simplifies the tax code in India, indirect tax code, but also digitizes the complete supply supply chain. Over the long run, Merchants are benefiting from it. They understand that invoicing is better. More and more, you know, uh, they, they are generating data for getting a better loans, getting better credit, getting working capital.
0: So it's um, you know been a fascinating conversation. And you know once you're done, finish. Um, with revolutionized India's digitization, I would love for you to come bring the U.S. into the 21st century because you're really doing some incredible things down there. Maybe you could just shape. You've got you've accomplished a lot. Um, where do you think you're going as you so, over the next few years? What are the big sort of forward-looking measures as you try to keep bringing you know digital to more and try to reshape India's economy from a from a whole macro level? Talk talk about where you think the future initiatives are lying.
1: So let me comment on a few things and comment on what you just asked me. Number one, today, to open a bank account, uh, to to get a telecom connection, you can do it completely presentless, paperless. You can open a bank account in about two minutes in India, the technology exists. Two, uh, I think, you know, uh, the the digital availability um, is something that we are working upon. We have about 450 million people on on the internet now. We want this number to become a billion. And I think uh, not only just urban people getting access, but everybody in India getting low-cost access, um, access and content in a language that they can understand. They can avail of all government services, education, e-health, in in the village, in the the rural part of India that they live in. So that's that's really the next big move that the government is doing in rolling out fiber-optic networks to to every nook and corner of India the prime minister is, is a firm belief that the civilized the next set of townships and you know where, where the where the next set of people will live uh, is not going to be next to highways or, or rivers but going to be next to where an optical network comes in so um, that's where we are building those you know smart villages um, and that's a big movement on that uh, India, as you started off, aspires to have a 8% growth rate and become a third biggest economy, you know, and, and really go to a six trillion economy in, in our lifetime. Uh, for that, I think infrastructure is being built at a pace that we have never seen before, which is energy infrastructure, uh, city infrastructure, transport infrastructure, uh, social infrastructure, education, health. And now, along with that, the big pivot that has been added is the digital infrastructure. So um, I think the country uh, is really building upon its human capital, creating knowledge capital in India. Um, Also plug that with the the fact that we have a very robust IT um, global outsourcing industry. Uh, India wants to become an intellectual capital for frugal innovation, for societal innovation for financial inclusion and those solutions can be sold to the world so those are some of the things that india is trying to do um, fbi is at an all time high in india the, you know foreign investors and investors globally are looking at very positively in india and uh, and i just want to take that message home that uh, with, with not only the economic stability india has perhaps the most stable political leadership uh, that it it has seen in the last 30 years. So if you ask me the right ingredients, the the people, the leadership, the the consumption, all is in place to to drive um, India towards the target of 6 trillion dollars from in the near future.
0: Well, Arvind, this has been a pleasure to chat with you. I I commend all the work that you're doing. I think it's so important, and you're doing a really uh, fascinating uh, experiment in bringing uh, India into the digital age, and you're really doing a great job. Thank you for joining us on our program today. Thank, Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Behind the Markets and SiriusXM 111. I've been talking with Arvind Gupta, the head of Digital India Foundation. Gaurav Sinha joining me in studio. Thanks for coming down to, to Wharton here, at Gaurav. Thanks to Daniel Bruno, our sound engineer, Patricia Hall, our producer. Have a great week, everybody.